This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Acts 3 today, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. This is um, my second favorite story in the book of Acts. Mm. Um, my first favorite story is the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good one. But this is my second favorite story, and um, every preacher has that one sermon that at any moment, if somebody called and was like, hey, I need you to preach in 20 minutes, you got a sermon on lock that you're ready to unleash at any moment. Yeah. Mine is this one. Mm. I have probably preached this text 30 times. Wow. But in approaching it this time, um, and preaching through the entire book of Acts, which I've never done before, I didn't want to use my old notes. Yeah. I wanted to try to make something new, and if it ended up in the exact same spot, okay, fine. It did not. It ended up somewhere very different. And I noticed some things in this text that I'd never noticed before ever. Hmm. Um, So the text begins with Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer. So the Jewish hour is the ninth hour, which for us means about three o'clock. They're going to pray. Um, That's the other thing I want you to realize is they're still Jews. Yeah. Like, they're still doing Jewish things. Mm -hmm. They're still going to the temple. They're still doing prayers. They're still participating in the Jewish feasts and festivals. Like, these are Jews. Yeah. They didn't necessarily, like, quote-unquote, convert to Christianity. Right. Like, they're just Jews who now understand Jesus. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so when you read Acts, don't be shocked that it's the Christians doing Jewish things. Right. They're going to continue to do that. Now, Paul will also bring in some quite Gentile things, but overall, it's Jewish things. So, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth. The Greek there actually says, and there's a way to word this where you would say a man who's lame from birth. Like, you can do that in Greek. That's not what this says. The Greek text actually says, and a man um, who was lame from his mother's womb. So, and while I don't think there's much difference in the construction or the ending place, there is quite a difference in saying, hey, you've been lame your whole life, Mm -hmm. and you've been lame since you came out of your mother. Yeah. Like, adding the mother element of it, it humanizes him. It mm. makes him a person that I have some kind of connection. Oh, he has a mom? I have a mom. Yeah. Right? It, like, it gives me a connection piece to him more so than a man who was lame his whole life. Right. Like, I've got no connection to that person other than he's a man and I'm a man. Yeah. That's it. But having a mother, like, it it softens me, the reader, mm. to what's about to happen. Yeah. 
the reason I think that's important is I'll show you in just a minute. Uh, a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. So he's a beggar. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who he lives with, but he's a beggar. He doesn't live on his own. Right. Uh, he's lame. Uh, friends, family are carrying him to the temple in order for him to beg, to ask for alms. Um, not an uncommon thing. Not, not uncommon at all. And the significance of being outside the temple, I really don't think there's any significance other than um, being outside the temples where you're guaranteed to see a bunch of people around three o'clock because they're going to pray. Right. Like I, it's a logic piece there. Yeah, I don't. I don't think yeah. you should be reading into that any more than he knew where some people were going to be. So he was there. So he was there. Yeah. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. And Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Yeah. For me, that that takes a very quick turn into... Um, Okay, something in the story is about to change. And you can see a Jesus thing is about to happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And because what what's what did Jesus do? Cared for the oppressed. You know what I mean? So that is that turning point in the story for me. And a beautiful moment at that. Because he looks at him and says, um, or he looks at him and is expecting something from them. You know, um, something is coming. He's not sure what, but something's coming. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't disagree with anything you've said. Mm. I think the the part of the story that I'm perplexed and infatuated with is that he says, "Look at us." Mm. Can you imagine a lame man who cannot do anything for himself, has not been able to for his entire life, and goes every day to the temple gates to sit there and ask for alms? Mm. Can you imagine the depression? Can you imagine yeah. the lack of worth and just not even like at the point that you're just looking at the ground going alms, alms, alms. You don't even feel like a human anymore. Yeah. And so Peter's call to him to, hey, look at us and the return gaze of and he looked intently at them. That humanizes him. Hmm. Think today. How often when you're out and about you see person on the side of the road yeah. with cardboard, how often do you look at your phone? How often do you look out the other window? How right. often do you try, go out of your way in order to make up some excuse not to have to look at that person? Yeah. I think that's exactly what Peter is saying. Don't do that. Yeah. Look at them. That person has a mother. Yeah. That's a mm. human being. Look at us. Because it makes... It makes us on some kind of level playing field. It makes me empathetic. It makes me realize that you're a human being in need. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you see what I'm tracking? Oh, yeah. I'm there. Okay. I'm there. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, stand up and walk. Before we go on. I, even if you've not read the story or you didn't hear my story from yesterday, it doesn't take a genius to realize that there's about to be a miraculous healing here. Yeah. But here's the thing. Peter says, I don't have any money. I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give you. Yeah. In this, sense, in this situation, that ends up in prayer. Hmm. Because he calls, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's a prayer moment. But And I didn't talk about this in my story, and so I want to spend quite a bit of time here. What I do have, I give to you. What do we have that we can give the oppressed? Um, not, not in a like super biblical right. way, but like what do you and I and American Christians, what do we have to give to the oppressed, to the vulnerable, to the marginalized? Money. First of all. Well, I mean, but we do, but let's say we don't. Okay. Do we have other things that we can give? I mean, love, affection, right? All these things. How about something tangible that will actually make a difference? Think, think critically. Think macro. Think individually. What What are some resources and things that we have available to us that are not money that we can actually give? To help someone that's marginalized. I'll give you an example of where my mind is to help you spark something. Um, how about a vote? A flipping vote that says, I'm going to vote in a way that's going to help those in need. Yeah. How about a voice? Yeah. Me, as a person of privilege and power, has a voice to give to those that don't have a voice to use. Mm. We got lots of things that... We can give. We've got lots of resources that we can give that are beyond money and volunteer hours. There are lots of ways to help this fight and cause out of the things that we have to give. What sure. we have, we give to you. Of course. I think that vote and voice are two really easy ones, but I don't think they're limited to that either. No. I think there's probably some other things that we could do um, out of what we have to give. Obviously, we have money. Yeah, we have time. Some of us more than others. Um, we have our vote. We have our voice. But at a kind of larger macro level, we have our worldview. The way in which we view the world um, dictates where we utilize our abundance, the mm. things that we have in order that we could give out of, our worldview dictates what we do with that. Yeah. Unfortunately, in America, the American worldview is I got to look out for myself. Right. I must be amazing. Yeah. I must be better. I must have more. I must do more. I must be more. Yeah. It's the perpetual pursuit of more. Um. <clears throat> But 
I also think that there's a way to use your worldview that says, um, hey, when the message of Jesus comes on scene, um, we're told that he's born of a virgin, and we're told that he is Lord, and that he's the Son of God. All three titles that would have been given to the Roman emperor. Don't think that this message is not politically charged. In the same way, the way we as Christians interact with our political worldview should be indicative of what we're making up out of, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you, the marginalized people. I genuinely believe that is how Jesus would have wanted us to live. And I genuinely believe that's how the apostles wanted us to live as evidenced here. They don't have money. They are also persecuted and oppressed people, but what they do have, they have prayer. We have prayer, but we also have things other than prayer. We don't live in this kind of Roman empirical society where there's no democracy, where we don't have voice, where everything's just dictated down to us. We have lots of ways where we can shape how these things happen and take place. Yeah. So, listener, I really want you thinking about what you have to give out of. If you have money, great. The world operates according to money. Love it, hate it, wish it wasn't that way, whatever. The world operates according to money. If you have money, great. Yeah, absolutely. Give out of that. We all have prayer. But I also want us thinking about the other things that we have that we can give in the name of Jesus for the marginalized and for the oppressed. Here's the other thing I want you to see. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately... His feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Would it make you uncomfortable if I said prayer alone was not enough? No, but I'm in a different position than most people probably would be uh no that does not bother me (laughs) i or make me uncomfortable let me say i think prayer is sufficient sure of course but in this moment i don't think prayer alone would have been enough Mm -mm. and here's why when i read the story peter looks at him and says i don't have any money yeah but what i got i'm gonna give you And here's what I got. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, stand up, walk. Great. Peter could have, genuinely, this would have been an option for Peter, to do that and go, just wait and look. Like, what's about Mm. to happen? Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? If it don't work, what what am I going to do? Yeah. Hey, I'll catch you again tomorrow. Hit you on the way back. So it's a faith thing. It's like a, hey... In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, pull him up. So like, you could look at it as a faith thing, and that's actually the way that I used to look at it. Right. I used to think that it meant that faith was measurable because 
Peter about to look like a real asshole if he reached down and raised this guy up, yank him up by his hands, and the dude can't walk. It's yeah, like, hey, kinda. you hero complex jerk. You yeah. just yanked a lame dude around. Yeah. It's like, okay, Peter about to look real bad. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think that's what the story's telling me. Mm. Um, I think there are other stories in the Bible that are related right. to faith. I don't think this is one. Mm. I think this story, the first miracle mm. of actual ministry that happens in the book of Acts. I think there's something very special about the fact that Peter extended him his own hand mm. and raised him up. And look what the, look how the verse is constructed. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Semicolon, new clause, temporally charged. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. I don't think he would have been healed if Peter didn't extend the hand. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. The, the act of pulling him up strengthened his ankles in that way. Um, not to be too political here, but, um, Peter's act of equity, giving Mm -hmm. of himself out of his abundance to help someone in need up to my level. That's the definition of equity. Yeah. Peter's equity, Peter's pursuit of equity is what I think made the miracle happen. Mm. I literally think the miracle happened because Peter pursued equity. Hmm that he gave of himself, of his ableness and abundance in divinity, and said, here, let me help you. Hmm. Took his hand and raised him up to eye level with me, to the point that they walk into the temple, jumping and praising the Lord together. That's not a picture. That's the picture of equity. Of me giving of myself in order to raise someone up to the same level as me. Mm-hmm. And then now also walking together. Mm-hmm. Equity achieved equality of sorts, even though that the metaphor breaks down in that way. But equity got someone to like status with me, and then we go about life together mm-hmm. from that point on. Yeah. That's what it's designed to do. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the miracle would have happened if Peter wouldn't have pursued equity. It's a really good point. And as many times as I've heard this text, heard you preach this text um, and read and processed this text on my own, I've never thought about it that way. Well, I hadn't either. That is. It's not how I used to look at the text. It's not how I used to read the text. not how I used to preach the text. Yeah. I mean, wow. The act of equity making miracles happen. The act of equity made the miracle happen. And... You know, that, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it because Jesus himself, just his presence everywhere he went, pursued equity. Yeah. Um, well, I actually, I actually think the revelation of Jesus um, is nothing but a story of equity. Yeah. God himself coming down yeah. only to be exalted in yeah, shame exactly in order to exalt mm-hmm. everyone else. Yeah. It's a story of equity. It's 1,000% a story of equity. And he carried that energy with him everywhere, and the disciples got to see this. Mm-hmm. They may not have had language for equity or 
anything in that way. Maybe they did in the Greek. I don't know. But for um, equity, no. But nobody's thinking in those terms. No, but well, if you had a word for that, it'd be righteousness, diakasune, mm, and that's not how they used it. Right. Um, so they didn't really have a concept of what that meant, but they saw it in Jesus. I think that's true. And and now in their ministry, they're doing Jesus things and pursuing equity, even in their miracles. Yeah, one thousand percent they are. Mm, that is a really good point. And so I think, as I said in the story yesterday, the things that are so beautiful about this text, and this is, I'm, I'm, a, if our audience will allow me to be quite blunt, Peter didn't see a project. Mm. Peter saw a human being in need of something. Peter didn't see uh, a mission project. Peter didn't see um, a project to go about so I can get more grant money. Mm. Peter didn't see anything other than a human being that clearly was down in the dumps. And that's why he said, hey, man, look at me. Mm. And then said, I am going to help you out of this. And extended his hand and raised him up so that they could then go about living life and praising God together side by side.